So we start a brand new sermon series today. I've been looking forward to all year to be able to preach this sermon series. And so we're looking at what we call, what I call the bread and, our bread and butter beliefs. And, um, and so I f- went back and looked at scripture and I found in the gospel of Matthew, the 25th chapter, I felt like it was the perfect chapter to kind of summarize where we've been as a church and what we continue to think about the future of our church and where we are. And so we're going to be working backwards. So I want to share with you all and once again, preach and teach a little bit on um, the gospel of Matthew, 25th chapter. And we're going to start from the back end and move back towards the front. And so we start with this great text, and this has to do with the judgment of the nations. And so let me um, share with you all the text today, and then we have a chance to dive in, and maybe we'll learn something new. So here are these words from the Gospel of Matthew, the 25th chapter, the 31st verse. So when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. And all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. And then at the and then uh, and then the uh, the king will say to those at his right hand, "Come, you are blessed by the Father and here at the king to prepare for you in the foundation of the world." For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you were hungry and you gave me food or thirsty and you gave me something to drink? And when was it that we, that we saw you a stranger and you welcomed us or naked and you gave us clothing? And when was it that well, we saw us saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did to the least of these of my members of my family, you did it unto me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. So let me just share with you a little, as we kick off this series, a true story. So... Um, when I was a little boy, uh, I still remember this just like it was yesterday. I was about five or six years old. Just imagine um, um, my father took me out. My father is actually a very good basketball player. And so this is where I got the theme for this whole thing about the bread and butter. And it came back from my childhood. So um, we were at, uh, my father was a pastor at Conway United Methodist Church in Orlando, Florida. And, and this is like in their night about 1968. And so um, it was a small little church. There wasn't much there. I mean, we had a little, par- had a little parsonage. It was right next to the church. Um, and so... And then in the back part of the property, there was a kind of an old gravel parking lot. It was all kind of roached out. It was, you know, part parking lot, part of it was kind of gravel because it just been, had been really well maintained. And then in the back part of that, there was a basketball goal. And it wasn't like what you, something you go down at Walmart. This is before Walmart. Can you remember what life before Walmart? And so... So they had a ba- we had a basketball go, but it was an old, um, it was actually a telephone pole, and they had put like an uh, a old piece of timber, uh, wood, uh, plywood, and then it had an old rusty goal. So my father took me back there, and he began to teach me how to play basketball. He taught me the fundamentals of basketball. Matter of fact, I got a picture of my dad. This is, how my, this is a picture of my father, actually, Slam Duncan. So he was a pretty good, now back in the 1950s, that was a pretty big deal. So my father was really good at basketball. And so what was, what happened, so um, I assumed, my father didn't have a whole lot of mercy when we played one-on-one. I just want you to know that. He was very competitive. I was, and, and I know the reason why he did that is because he wanted me to be a better player. And so when I started with little, we would play, and he took, obviously kind of took it easy on me. But then as I grew a little bit older, and I became a little bit more competitive, and I got a little bit stronger and a little bit taller, I, I had to figure out something. I had to figure out how to try to beat him. 
And, um, and so uh, he was big and tall and lanky and you know, he's like six, six and I was little, I was only five foot nine. And so I had to use my, qu- my quickness to my advantage. And so um, we would get to the point that we played a 21 in these one-on-one games. And so often, because we're so competitive, it would end up 20-20, and the next person wins the next point would win the game. So I had to figure out how to shoot over him. And so my father said to me one day, I'll never forget this, because this is kind of what the theme, and this is why I got the idea of bread and butter. My father turned to me, he says, Harold Ray, he says, I want you to know when the game's on the line, you really want to win, you go back to your bread and butter. And what he meant by that is whatever he had taught me out of these years and years and years of my childhood, He said, if you really want to win, you go back to what you really do best. So I was thinking about this this last week, and once again, you know, I love sports. So this is, I love this part of the year because this is the greatest part of the year for me because I'm a sports enthusiast. You can watch the NBA, you can watch Major League Baseball, and you can watch the NFL all at the same time. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And so it made me think about Back in 1998, Michael Jordan, matter of fact, I got a picture of Michael Jordan, and here's a picture of his last shot as a Chicago Bull. And what's interesting, when he let that ball go, um, there are two people in that stands that knew for a fact that that ball was going to go in. It was Michael Jordan. I think he knew for a fact it was going in. There was a kid, actually, if you look above the shot clock, and you really can't see this kid, but there's a kid, and hone in on it, and he's holding up six fingers. And the reason why he's holding up six fingers, because he knew the ball was going in, it meant that Michael Jordan won his sixth NBA championship before the ball went in. He knew it was going in. And so what's interesting about, as I went back and reminisced about that, is that why did Michael Jordan, you know, when he was younger, he'd be able to slam dunk and he'd go dunk on people. But when he got older, he realized his body couldn't take it. So he, he recreated himself and he figured out how to win. But he, when a game was on a line and he was going to shoot for his last shot as a Chicago Bull, and they really had to win, everybody knew who was going to shoot the ball. And he went back to what the basics that little 12 or 15 foot jump shot. It was his bread and butter. So I started thinking about our, our lives as New Covenant and I met this church, a place to call home as Gary shared with us. And so I, I think it's really important that we remember what really is our bread and butter. And our bread and butter beliefs as we think about our mission and vision is our bread and butter is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That is part of our bread and butter. Here's another part of our bread and butter, the, the idea be to be a thriving body of Christ by being his hands, feet, and voice in the world. That's part of our bread and butter. A few years ago, my friend Sean Pollock uh, gave me this book. It's called The Seven Practices of Effective Ministry. Matter of fact, our SALT retreat is we're going to have this Tuesday, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that book. And what I love about Andy Stanley, what he wrote about this, he talks one of the key principles. He has everything to do with, once again, narrowing the focus And this is what he says, devoting a little of yourself to everything means committing a great deal to nothing. We can easily weaken our potential by investing too much time in the areas of our lives where we have the least potential. And so we've continued to, once again, focus on what we do really, really well, nearing the focus the idea that what are our basic principles, what are the foundations of our church has been built on, Making disciples, transformation of the world, being the hands, feet, voice of Jesus Christ. This is our bread and butter. 
You know, last week I showed that little clip of Lou Holtz, and Lou Holtz talked about, you know, what does it take to be able to have a meaningful life? And, and so, once again, these are kind of the bread and butter principles. He says, listen, everybody needs, well, everybody needs something to do. Everybody needs someone to love. Everyone needs someone to believe in. And, you know, everybody needs something to hope for. These are basic principles of life. And so I shared those with us as we talked about the Apostle Paul's teaching last week. And those two were part of the bread and butter of what Paul put together for us to continue to, once again, live our lives by. And then I started thinking about the idea, of what does it make for us when we think about our bread and butter principles and the idea of a meaningful church? And when we think about meaningful, I love this definition, meaningful, significant, important, consequential, momentous, deep, profound, carrying a great weight. And so when I think about the basic principles, our bread and butter of our church, these, this mission statement, our, our vision to be a thriving body of Jesus Christ, as Gary talked about, hospitality was so important as we began this church 20 years ago. This is our bread and butter. Then I went back this last weekend and did a little detective work, and I actually looked at the definition of bread and butter, and it says, being a basic as the earnings of one's livelihood, depending as a source of income, a company accompanies bread and butter. So I started thinking about that. I don't know if you remember this. Back in the 1980s, there was the Clash, clash the Titans, and the Clash the Titans was the Clash the Titans of Colas. I don't remember this. So there's Pepsi-Cola and there's Coca-Cola. And so Pepsi began to, once again, they, they began to kind of capitalize on Coca-Cola's market. And the reason why, how they did that was they, well, they hired some young people that were like high-profile people. They hired Michael, Michael Jackson to be one of their kind of uh, commercial uh, agents. And so all of a sudden, guess what happened? Pepsi started selling all this, co- all this, all this cola. And so Coca-Cola didn't like that. Matter of fact, they began to, think, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And you all remember this. Coca-Cola did something that was like the dumbest thing they could ever do. They actually made new Coke. And you know what happened to America? They began to revolt. (laughs) Give us our old Coke back. We don't like the new Coke. Can you just give us our old Coke back? So we had the original Coke, and then we went to new Coke, and then we went back to Coca-Cola Classic, right? What did they do? They went back to their bread and their butter. So I was thinking of this last week, once again, that the idea, what is our bread and butter? What are the basic principles that our church has been founded on? And I thought about, you know, once again, the idea of narrowing the focus and what are the wins that we continue to celebrate? Once again, that's another key characteristic of this book is not only be able to narrow the focus, but be able to clarify the wins. And I started thinking about, okay, so we have this wonderful, wonderful opportunity to be able to build houses for the last 15 years. We call that our Helping Hands Ministry. And we've got this wonderful thrift shop that we call Bargains and Blessings, and that's been a win. And I thought about our mentor program, and we have like 60 kids that are involved in that. And we take up a love offering every Christmas Eve, and we continue to love and nurture these young people as they are continued to be able to find their way through life and to help, help them be able to make good choices. And we have that program. When my friend Pam Brown was here last night, and she, she's the one who had this vision to be able to make sure that every child in our community has a warm bed to sleep in. We have this Alzheimer's ministry that's in their church. I think it's a fabulous ministry about respite care where people can come and to be able to feel as if they're loved and they get a break in their day. 
to me, these are all, once again, narrowing the focus. They are bread and butter part of, the bread and butter part of our church. You know, um, uh, this last, uh, it was like Tuesday night, um, uh, June Edwards, who's our district superintendent, she came and she, um, she did a devotion and she actually did it on this particular text. I'm gonna read it in just a second. And, and she talked about Fred Craddock uh, clarifying a word now, I had read this particular piece of scripture many, many times, but I never had thought it from the perspective of Fred Craddock. Fred Craddock was actually, he was my professor at Homilex at Emory University. He was later in the years, may God rest his soul, he, di- di- he died a few years ago. It, um, but to me, Fred Craddock was probably one of the greatest preachers in America. And I had a chance to be able to learn from him. And by the way, Fred Craddock was a great storyteller. And... Um, June read this text the other day, and um, she quoted Fred Credick um, about a key word. So this is what June said. So once upon a time, Jesus was, you know, he had been out in the desert. Um, he'd been fasting for 40 days. Um, as I shared with you all last week, you know, Jesus did not choose prosperity, but he did, did choose piety. Because the devil, every time the G- devil would try to tempt him, guess what Jesus did? You ready? He went back to the bread and butter. He always quoted scripture. So the devil came up with him one thing, one thing, one thing, all three things. But Jesus continued to come back to his bread and butter, what he had learned, the foundation of his life. And he went go back to the Torah and he quoted the scripture over and over again to the devil. So he comes back out of being out fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And the first thing that Jesus does, he goes to his hometown synagogue. He goes to his church. They hand him the, the Torah, the scroll. He opens it up. And he turns to the book of Isaiah. Now, the book of Isaiah was written 700 years before he reads this. And this is what Jesus reads. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to the proclaim the freedom to the, to the prisoners, he, recovery to the sight of the blind, and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone on, in the synagogue was fastened on Jesus, and he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today. I had never thought about that, that word today. And what I loved about that text and what she shared with us the other day was it's important because what ultimately Jesus said, hey, today is a brand new beginning. I'm about to begin my ministry. You don't really know what it's all gonna be about, but I'm telling you, this today. This has been fulfilled today. Today is a huge day. Because guess what? Everybody has a chance to win if you come and follow me Today. And so I started to think about that and reflected upon this. I love this text, uh, this Matthew Henry commentary. He said, as Isaiah was authorized, authorized and directed to proclaim the liberty to the Jews in Babylon, so was Christ, God's messenger, to publish a more joyful jubilee to a, a lost world today. Today, the world wins. Today. So let me just teach for you. Um, uh, I've got like four or five minutes. Y'all still with me? Yeah. Okay, good. All right, because I'm still preaching. And, and so, um, <laughs> so let me teach you three fundamental things about this text today. And so the first thing is, um, we gotta go back and we look at, okay, Matthew's writing to this particular audience. And so what I love about Matthew is, he gets to the, this is the 25th chapter. And by the way, this text is just before the passion of Christ. It's the last week. So Jesus, Matthew puts this together and this has gotta be really important. 
because he puts it just strategically, just this particular piece of scripture comes just before Jesus goes into, um, rides into uh, Jerusalem for the last week of his life. And so this, key, this story has everything to do with actually the class of two kingdoms. Um, it has to do with you know, the kingdom of goodness and godliness and purity and hope and love. And then you have this other kingdom of, well, the clash of evilness. And so, and so what Matthew does, he, 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 makes, he wants to make sure that everybody's ready. That's a theme that we have here. And so that's the reason why he gives us six parables that lead into this particular, particular text in Matthew 25th chapter. So we have this, the parable of uh, the bridesmaids um, who were the, they had the 10, 10 bridesmaids and five of them had enough oil and five of them didn't. And so the five had oil. Well, they went on and went to the party, but the five that didn't have enough oil, when they came for the bridegroom to come, they weren't ready. What's, what's Jesus talking about there? Make sure you're ready. He talked about the, the parable of the wedding feast. And so the master has this great big wedding, has every all prepared. And so he invites the, the, the A-listers and guess what? The A-listers didn't want to come. They made up all kind of lame excuses. And he says, hey, listen, go get the least. Go to the highways and byways and bring them in. We'll welcome them. Because if the others don't want to come, then maybe they will come. So we have this parable after parable. By the way, we also find out, and I love this, not only is it that there's this kind of clash between good and evil in the story, but there's also this theme about being ready, but there's also this theme about being compassionate. Being compassionate. And so where do we find those parables? Well, we find that parable, once again, the good, it's the good Samaritan parable, right? Jesus, once again, gives us the idea of what it feels like. So when we read this parable, the story that I just read just a minute ago, it just, once again, there's this connection that we find the Good Samaritan story about being compassionate to other people. So we have that. Here's the second thing. This parable has everything to do, or the story has everything to do with Christology. Now listen, Christology is one of those kind of terms that you learn in theology or in theological school when you go to seminary. And so what I love about this, so we have this, this I have these images, images of Jesus Christ. And so what are the images that we have in this particular story? We have the images of Jesus being king. We got, we got the image of Jesus being the son of man. We got Jesus being the Messiah. We got Jesus being the Lord. And then we got Jesus being the shepherd. And what's a shepherd do? He separates the sheep from the goats. And the sheep go on the right hand and the goats go on the left hand. In this story, you don't want to be a goat. Matter of fact, you know, they talk about Tom Brady and Michael Jordan being the goat, you know, the greatest of all time. In this story, you don't want to be the goat, right? So Jesus says, listen, we'll put the sheep to the right and the goats to the left. So we have all this imagery of Christology. And the last thing is, and I love this part of the story, and I never realized it until I heard June talk about this word last week about as Jesus was rolled out the scroll and he says, today this has been fulfilled in your midst. And I, so I, after I heard that sermon, I went back and I started searching this particular text for the word. I knew there had to be a word in it. And so here's the word, because this story has everything to do with being ethical and being compassionate. And so what's very interesting, according to the Gospel of Matthew, because in the other Gospels, we find this thing when it comes to being judged, and that last judgment and being judged. Normally we would find grace, and we idea about forgiveness, and, but we don't find that this in the Gospel of Matthew. Not what we find here, 
we find this, this little nugget of that when Jesus is talking about in the judgment of nations and he calls the people together and he turns to the right hand, the sheep, and, he's, and, the, and the sheep, in this case, the people, turn to Jesus and say, when did we do this? When, when did we feed the hungry? And when did we take care of those who were naked? And when did we go and visit those who were in prison? And when did we take care of the sick? Because when I love the word when, W-H-E-N, in this story, they seem completely surprised. And so what's very powerful, I think that's the key word in this text. It's W-H-E-N, because once again, not once, not twice, but three different times, the people, the, sh- the sheep, were saying to the shepherd, hey, uh, to the master, the Lord, when did we do this? They're, they're comp- like, one minute, we, when did we do this? And so what the point of what Jesus is saying is, listen, be really careful, because this is not about works righteousness. That's another big theological term. Works righteousness, if I can do enough good things, that somehow it's going to merit my way to heaven. No, Jesus is not talking about works righteousness. To make it really clear. It's not about extra credit. I was always looking for extra credit. This is not the sharpest tool in the shed. I just want you to know that. Jesus is not talking about extra credit. No, Jesus is talking about loving people. And because if you love me, You'll love people. And by the way, sheep take care of other sheep because they listen to the voice of the shepherd. Can I amen on that? Do you get that? Sheep are willing to take care of other sheep because they're always willing to listen to the voice of the good shepherd. So the reason why the, the people in the story came like, when did we do this? Well, the reason why they, when they did it they were surprised is because they did it because they love the shepherd. They love the Lord. They love the Messiah. They love Jesus. They love God. And so the, their motivation is not to be able to do enough good things to be able to get to heaven. Their motivation is because they purely love God. And if you love God, you love your neighbor. I love First John. Dear friends... Let's just love each other because love is from God and everyone who loves is born from God and knows God. The person who doesn't love does not know God because God is love. This is how the love of God was revealed to us. God has sent his only son into the world so that we can live through him. This is love. It is not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the sacrifice that deals with our sins. Dear friends, If God loved us this way, we also ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. If we love each other, God remains in us and his love is made perfect in us. Hallelujah. The sheep always listen to the good shepherd. The sheep take care of the sheep. I close with this. So once upon a time, I learned this. I thought this was a great story. There's a story of um, Martin of Tours. Jesus, are you don't know the story of Martin of Tours? He lived in the 300s. He was a Roman soldier. His daddy was a Roman soldier. He, his daddy did so well. As a matter of fact, the, I guess the emperor gave him a bunch of property. He lived in the northern part of Milan or somewhere in Italy. And so he became a Roman soldier. He was very good. But early in his age, he became a Christian. He tried to convert his daddy to become a Christian, but his daddy wasn't going for it. But he always loved Jesus, even as a Roman soldier. 
Once upon a time, as the story goes, they, he was going into a town, and all of a sudden he saw this poor blind, this poor beggar who was cold. It was cold. It was in the wintertime, and um, he was like half naked. And so, matter of fact, here's a picture of him. This is Martin and the beggar. And here's a statue of that. Can you go back to the last slide real quick? So what Martin's does is he takes his coat off and he takes out a sword and he cuts the coat in two and he drapes the coat over the beggar. Later the night, Martin has a dream. In the dream, he dreams he's in heaven. And as he's in heaven, he's watching this whole thing unfold and he sees the angels. The angels are having a conversation with Jesus. And they said to Jesus, Jesus, why do you have a half of a coat that's all worn and tattered from a Roman soldier? And Jesus turned to the angels and said, my friend Martin gave it to me. Jesus said, when you done it to the least of these, you done it unto me. A win, W-H-E-N, is a win for Jesus Christ. Amen.